out of your worship folders, and um, you can uh, take a few notes as we go. We've been in the series from this day forward, which kind of February is the love month, you know, it's Valentine's Day, hopefully everybody did all right on Valentine's Day, and, and, uh, and we asked, we started out by asking this, the question, are great relationships possible? Are great relationships possible? And, and uh, some people think so, some people think not, uh, but uh, we, we said, you know, they are possible, but not if you continue to live like, we, like everybody else lives. And so if, uh, you know, if we live like the culture, then we won't have great relationships, whether it's friendships, marriage relationships, or any kind of relationships. And so, uh, you know, God's given us an owner's manual. It's the Word of God, the Bible, and, uh, and, and we can live by that and discover uh, the way God works in our relationships. And that's what we've been doing. One thing we've got to know, we all have baggage, right, that we bring into any relationship. We've got uh, predispositions, we've got prejudices, whatever we have, but we bring these into relationships, they're called baggage, and so we need, uh, it's why the, we've been doing this from this day forward, because here's the thing, I can't go back and change that, but I can start today by making some commitments, and we got this from Lamentations, where Jeremiah was lamenting about his past, and uh and so let me read this verse, and then we'll look at some things. In Lamentations 3, Jeremiah said this, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time and as I grieve over my loss. Jeremiah had lost things. I mean, it, it, during his time, the nation of Israel had been conquered and all that kind of stuff, evil rulers, and uh, just everything bad. And he even got thrown in a pit and left for a while because he kept prophesying to the king that they were going to get overthrown and and things like that and and so he he just he you know some things he just said I've been placed done things seen things that I don't want to have to remember but I remember them and I grieve over my losses some of you have been through things in your life losses that you grieve over maybe it's decisions that you've made where uh, you have have uh, maybe made a bad decision and the consequences of that decision uh, weren't good and and so you know you're uh you're, you're having to go through that and, and live through that. And, you don't, and it grieves you as you think about those things. And, and, but Jeremiah, and we need to say this with him, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. He said, I dare to have hope when I remember the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. He said, he said I have hope because the Lord never ends. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. And every day, he said, his mercies are new. So it's like getting a restart on your computer. You know, you restart that thing, and all of a sudden, it's thinking clearly. You go to sleep at night, and all of a sudden, you're thinking kind of clearly, you know, the next day. And, and, and so it's like getting a reset. I'm glad, I'm excited that we serve a God who's a reset kind of God. We serve a God who always shows us mercy Every single day. And, and matter of fact, the best part of you know what the best part of God's day is? Is when he can look at you and say, I'm going to show you some mercy today. I'm going to help you out. God loves to show his children mercy. He loves to show us mercy. We all know what we've done in the past. Uh, for some of us, the list is longer than others. But, 
But here's what I'm doing. I'm, we've been in this series calling you to make five commitments from today on. And so the first, we talked about seeking God. And that was, that was uh, the very foundation of everything. You've got to have God in your relationship. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life. That's got to be the foundation. And, and, and both people having a God-first attitude. I'm living a God-first kind of life. That sets the foundation for a great marriage, a great friendship, great partnership. And so we talked about that. It's got to be the foundation. Then, then secondly, we talked about fighting fair because, you know, when, you're, when you even Hallmark movies have a fight, y'all. Even Hallmark movies, you know, they're about 45 minutes into it, and about the same spot, and they have this great disagreement, you know, the misunderstanding where the guy sees the girl hugging somebody, you know, or the girl sees the guy hugging somebody, and they think, oh, well, he's cheating on me, or he's with somebody else. And, and you know, you, y'all have seen them, right? And uh, they're all the same. I mean, every one of them the same. They, they start out not liking each other. They start liking each other. They have the big, dis, uh, the big misunderstanding. Everybody disagrees, even Hallmark does. We've got to learn to fight fair. The problem is too many people don't fight fair. We fight to win. We fight to destroy the other person. Now, that's fine in war. The Ukrainians are fighting to win right now. But in our relationships, we need to fight for resolution. For resolution. And so we learned to fight fair. Last week was all the men's favorite sermon because we were talking about romance, having fun, you know, and, uh, and I left you guys with a great scripture uh, from James, the half-brother of Jesus, where he said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And so, uh, you know, and, and so we talked about having fun in our relationships. Today, we're talking about staying pure, and then next week, we'll talk about never give up, never give up. So number four, stay pure. Number five is never give up. And so uh, don't know what's going on back. They're not keeping up, but you write fast and I'll talk slow. So write this down. Every relationship must stay pure if it's going to last. We've got to have purity in our relationships. If, 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 if there's not purity in our relationships, I mean, whether it's a business relationship, if there's not a trust there in our marriages, if there's not purity uh, we're in, the, in that relationship that it is unstained, uh, it won't last. Look what Hebrews 13.4 says. It says, give honor to marriage. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Listen, we step out of God's blessings uh, when we're stepping out of doing it His way. And so, uh, you know, he, he honored here means, as God defines it, he's saying stay faithful to your spouse, both in your thought, your attitude, your actions, you support each other. He's saying you fa- stay faithful to that relationship in a marriage between a man and a woman. Not two men, not two women, but between a man and a woman. Our culture says, though, you just go live however you want to live. Just go live however you want to live. Do what you want to do. But <clears throat> at some point, We've got to understand, we've got to come back to God's standards if we want to have awesome relationships. You've got, you got to have that. Look what Paul said in Ephesians. He said, but among you, and he's talking about us as Christians, us as Christians, among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And he's saying a hint of it. There can't be any. There can't be a sniffing of it, an appearance of it, uh, or whatever. He said there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Now, sexual immorality, 
Paul addresses this so much because it was tolerated in the Roman culture. Unfortunately, it's tolerated in our culture more and more. And, and so when he's talking about sexual immorality, he's talking about sexual immorality of every kind. Uh, uh, fornication, which is sex outside marriage. Uh, adultery, which is uh, sex with somebody else's spouse. Uh, any kind of se- sexual perversion. Cohabitation, homosexuality, pornography. Huge thing in our culture is pornography. And, uh, and that's a sin as much as anything else. Had a guy one time that uh, one, of the, one part of the, uh, his marriage had, had cheated on him with somebody else, and, but he was hooked on porn. He didn't see that what he was doing was hurting her. And it does. It's as, it's as bad as anything. And so impurity, he says, any kind of impurity. That's talking about a lifestyle of indulgence. In other words, we want to indulge, in this, and in this context, in every kind of sexual indulgence we can. And that's what he's talking about. But he said there can't be a hint of any of that among you who are my followers. And so look what he says in First Thessalonians. Paul said this, God's will is for you to be holy. Now, holy we know for us is not holy like God is holy. God is perfect. He's holy. He's set above. But holy, he's saying you're set apart from everyone else. You're different than everyone else. So God's will, God has called you and I to be different than the culture, not impure like the culture. And so we're to live a different kind of life on a different plane. We're not to blend in. We're to live differently and to live differently. So he's called us to live holy lives. I wish every guy in here, every one of you, need to go home and read Proverbs 5, Proverbs 6, and Proverbs 7. You'll never think about it at that point because those three chapters just show you lose everything. I mean, and oftentimes you lose your job, you lose your family, you lose your friends, you lose respect in the community, you lose half, at least half of your money and possessions, uh, you lose your self-respect, you lose favor with God. Just, and Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 talks about all of it. I mean, it's bad. You read it, you lose everything when you don't do it God's way. But God has called us to do, be holy and, and not live in pure lives. Look at Proverbs 5, 8. He says, Stay away from her, talking about the prostitute, or I'll put in parentheses, or him. See, Solomon was writing this, but you stay away from anybody who's immoral and trying to get you to do something you don't. Don't go near the door of the prostitute's house. Stay away. Don't you see that it matters to God? I mean, you know, we got to stay away from that. <clears throat> and, and look at Paul says, run from sexual sin. What did Joseph do when Potiphar's wife kept trying to tempt him? He finally ran. He had to remove himself from it. Run from sexual sin. Here's what Paul said. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now we talk about this church building. People say don't act that way in the church. Guys, you are the church. You know, in the old days they had the temple, Solomon's temple, and that's where the Jews went to worship. Jesus told the woman at the well, said one day You'll, you'll worship in spirit and truth. She said, I know we're supposed to do it at the temple. He said, no, you'll worship in spirit and truth. We are the temple of God. When you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has come to live inside you. And, and so you don't belong, you know, we're the temple of God. Further, he goes on and says this. You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. What was that high price? The death of Jesus on a cross. And so my body doesn't belong to me. I... I when I accepted Jesus, I traded my sinfulness for his righteousness. And so I don't even belong to myself. People say, well, my body, I can do with what I want. If you're a Christian, it's not your body. 
You need to understand that. You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And uh, it kind of makes me think of that, uh, that movie, Saving Private Ryan, where the guy said, make your life count. That's what God's saying to us. You were bought with a price. Now you live it. You live it. You know, we don't belong to ourselves. And so we need to understand that. Jesus paid the price for our sin. And salvation is surrendering my life to the Lord. It's not praying a prayer for fire insurance. It's saying, Lord, I surrender. That's why we raise our hands in worship. Lord, I surrender. I'm yours, God. And, uh, and so I don't base my decisions on what I think. I base my decisions on what God says. Now, look at this, look at this fire pit. We were out yesterday walking. We saw a guy in the backyard. This isn't it, but I should have taken a picture of his. He had a rip-roaring fire going. Fire pit. Everybody likes fires, right? And so, you know, now here's a stack of wood that you can... You can make an, and I'm, I, I thought about just going and buying a stack and building one right here. Now, you'd be all right with that stack of wood somewhere, but, but if I stacked it up and, and to make a fire right here, like this picture shows, if I, if I was getting ready to make a fire, some of y'all would start to think that maybe I'd lost my brains, right, in this, in this room. Uh, you know, and just maybe build a bonfire right here. You know, look at this. I mean, you know, there it is. See, now look. How many of you have been around a bonfire or fire pit at some point, right? It's not the fire that's bad. It's the containment of it. It's the containment of the fire. If we started it on this carpet, chances are it spread faster than we wanted it to spread. But see, you know, we, we've got to wor- worry about the location of the fire. The fire is not the problem. It, you know, it, it's whether it can be contained or not where I'm choosing to use it. And if it's outside, y'all are, y'all are okay with that if we're building it out in the parking lot. But if we're building it in here, you're thinking Robert's off his rocker. And, uh, and, and so, you know, we're going to do that. But here's the thing. It's the same way with passions. The church has always communicated this per- poorly because we talked about last week, you know, the church's me- messages are usually don't, stop that, quit it. You know, and, and you may have grown up in a church that didn't believe in premarital sex because it might lead to dancing. You know, I mean, it, it's just kind of, it's kind of, I mean, that's how strict some of them were. You know, I mean, it, it was just like, you know, and, and so we hadn't communicated that well. It's not the passion. God put the passions there. It's where we use them. It's where we use those passions. And God created it to be used in a marriage between a husband and a wife. And, uh, and so we've got to learn to use those, that fire in the right place. In youth ministry, you know, we talk about kids are always rebellious, right? We were rebellious when we were kids, right? You know, but here's the thing. To tell a kid don't be rebellious is like telling that wall to jump. I mean, it's just not going to happen. What you got to do is steer that rebellion. We got to get those kids to where they're going to rebel against what the devil's plan for their life is. Rebel against the devil. You know, you want to rebel? You want to rebel against authority? You know, sneak a Bible to school, places that won't allow a Bible. Sneak it, to, sneak it into Russia, sneak it in somewhere, you know. And I, I know mission trips where people have taken kids and they got Bibles under their clothes going, you know, going into these places. And it, you channel that, get, 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 them, into, get them into doing something uh, powerful for the Lord. Don't stop the passion, just direct the passion to the right place. Now write this down, passions need parameters. Passions need parameters or guardrails. You know, we need parameters to stay within. God, God has a standard that will make the passion burn brighter and hotter and longer. And So let's look at that. Galatians 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. In other words, we've nailed our passions to the cross. We've submitted them to the Lord. In, in Romans 12 where it talks about stop conforming to the image, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the, cha- by the renewing of your mind, that, that's the same thing. We're, we're submitting ourselves to God allowing him to change the way we think. And, and the only difference between us and the culture is that when we let God determine the parameters of our passion, we crucify those passions. When you get this message straight, you'll be happier. Your light will be brighter for everybody else to see. Now, too many people are living outside these parameters. I said, touched on this a minute ago. You know, 70% of people around are, are looking at pornography. 70%, 7 out of 10 or looking at pornography, 50% of marriages in, in divorce. Nobody set up when they were young and said, hey, look, by the time I'm 40, I want to be married and divorced three or four times and hooked on porn. Nobody said that, but that's what happens. It's happening at a crazy rate. And so why is that? Because we put the fire in the wrong place. So I want to, show you, I want to talk to you about some purity parameters this morning. Some purity parameters, and they're real simple. Real simple, not always easy, but simple. And so number one is, write this down, make a commitment to God's standards. You've got to determine that I'm committed to living by God's standards no matter what. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to come back to this. You need to commit your life to living by standards that we find in the Word of God. Every one of us is going to have an opportunity to choose. You will have an opportunity to to choose whether you're going to follow the culture or whether you're going to follow God. What does God say? You've made a choice here because you're here today. Culture's out there somewhere. Culture's out doing something else. They're getting ready for a parade or whatever. You've chosen to be here. So you've chosen, many of y'all, to give it an offering. And the culture says, why in the world would you give money to a church? Or why would you give money to an organization that's trying to help people? Whatever. So you've got to choose to follow God's standards. And at some point, you're going to have that choice. That's the point where you determine that God is your God. See, I can say God is my God, but if he tells me something I don't agree with and I decide I'm not going to do it because I don't agree with it, then he's not my God. He's an advisor, but he's not my God. But if he tells me something that, that I don't necessarily want to do or agree with, but I said I'm going to do it because he's God, then he's my God. You see the difference? We've got to determine, even when we don't like it, we're going to live by what God has told us to live. A lot of people have a lot of opinions, you know. And, and uh, listen, I mean, you know, we've, we've got to learn to do that. We've got to live by what God says. Write this down real quick. God has exclusive rights to determine containment. That's keeping that fire where it ought to be, right? That's what makes him God. People ask me all the time, said, They'll ask me about different moral issues. We use, when we go to Rivard, the kids would say, uh, Brother Robert, is this a sin? Well, yeah. What, then they go over here. What about this? Or I'd say, no. And so what about this? They're getting a little bit closer to sin all the time, wanting to see how, far, how close they can get to sin. See, our response to sin is to get as far away from it as we can, not to get over by it. And, and so people say, what's your opinion about different issues? And here's my answer, really. It doesn't matter really what I think. I've got opinions. But my opinions aren't worth anything. God's opinion is the one that counts. God's opinion is the one that counts. Your opinion, my opinion. And I, listen, I'm committed to God's standards. 
He has exclusive rights to determine containment, not me. He is the one that determines how I live and contain that. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is too many people have too many opinions. You can see that on Facebook, on the comments underneath a, a, a thing or whatever. And, and, and so uh, it's not about opinions. It's about what God said. God's opinion is the only one that matters. So we've got to get back to God's standard. Look at this next scripture. I love this one. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man or an old man keep themselves pure? Look what it says. By obeying your word. It doesn't say by reading your word. By obeying your word. You see, I keep myself pure when I read it and do what it tells me to do. And, uh, and so that's how you keep your way pure. You're committed to following God's way even when I don't understand it. Even when I may not like it, he's for you. And he, he, listen, God loves you so much that he died for you on a cross. He's never going to tell you to do something that's bad for you. You've got to trust that. And so uh, we've got to make a commitment that we're going to stand by God's standards. And that's what we're going to live by, by God's standards. So how do we do that? Number two, we've got to manage my mind. I've got to manage my mind. Listen. All impurity begins in your brain. There's no such thing as a one-night stand. You were thinking about it a while before you had that one-night stand. It's more like a two-week stand, you know, or something like that. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you know, there's no one-night one stand. It might have happened in one night, but it'd been plain. you've been thinking about it for a while. One thing you've got to do, you've got to monitor your media intake. You've got to monitor what you let in. It might look good, but it's got a hook in it, let me tell you. Whether it's on a screen or in person, it might look good, but there's a hook in it. might be a bomb in it. You've got to make a plan for how you're going to handle it because it's coming your way. Temptation is coming your way. Look what Job said. He said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman or a young man, ladies. Pornography is growing in, in, with women as well, but primarily guys are tempted with our eyes. He said, I've made a covenant not to look with my eyes, uh, to, with my eyes, not to look with lust at a young woman. I, I love this book called Being Holy, Being Human by a guy named Jay Kessler. Uh, wrote about this, and, and, and one, in there he talked about contextualizing. He told a story. He was on an airplane. He's a president of Youth for Christ in Taylor University, which is a Christian liberal arts school. He's flying somewhere, and a young lady, real pretty girl, sat next to him, and, and, uh, and, and she was... She was upset, and so he got to talking to her, found out that her, her, she had just called off her wedding, and she was flying uh, off. Uh, she'd called the wedding off because she caught her, her fiancé cheated on her the night before, and, and she'd saved herself and all that, and she decided uh, she was going to go out and find her a guy and cheat, cheat right back. And so she was flying, and she looked at him and, and said, Would you be interested? And, uh, and so... Uh, you know, I hear the murmur through there, you know, and say so everybody's thinking, whoa, you know, who would know? Nobody would know, you know, and flying to a different city. So he's, he can, here's what contextualization is. He first thought, you know, I don't want to dishonor God. His second thought was, she's about my daughter's age. That took all the sting out of the temptation. Uh, and how would I want somebody to respond to my daughter in this situation or my sister or my, you know, brother, whatever. And so you contextualize and you put that person in context and it takes the temptation away. And that's what happened with him. He hooked her up with some Youth for Christ ladies. 
who helped her and kept her from making an awful mistake in her life. But that's, that's, part, of, that's part of choosing not to look with lust at a young woman. Psalms 101.3 says this, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I don't think I put that in your outline. I'm not sure. I stuck this in somewhere else too. He says, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. Pornography. Just write pornography by that. Whether it's in a magazine or on this or on your computer or your iPad. I've refused. Are you willing to make that commitment? I'm not going to, you know, one of the things I love about Apple, people say, oh, you like Apple. Well, you know, all those things don't pop up on my Apple computer like they did years ago on a, on a Microsoft computer. But you've got to have a plan on what you're going to do. You've got to have a plan. Uh, so with over 70% of the people looking at porn, we've got to make a commitment that we're not going to look at anything vile and vulgar. We've got to make, guys, if you're looking at it, if you're looking at it, Jesus says you're committing adultery. Ladies, if you're looking at it too, you're committing adultery. Porn is a sin, and it will destroy your life. Knew a guy that could probably quote more scripture than I'll ever be able to quote. He'd get up in the middle of the night and go watch videos until his wife caught him. And uh, he finally went and got some help, and he got free from that. It's a, it, it, it's a, it's a horrible addiction. Matter of fact, uh, as I've studied like Conquer series and stuff like that, pornography makes the same tracks in your brain that cocaine does, usage in your brain. It hits the same part of your brain. And so there comes a point where just like a crack addict can't do it by saying, oh, I'm just going to quit. A pornography addict can't just say, hey, I'm going to quit. But it's sin. And so uh, you, 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 need to, you need to commit now to stay away from that. And, uh, and so these are some parameters that will just keep you from, from ruining your life. You need, to, you need to stay away from that. Pornography, you're committing adultery. And, uh, and so listen, it takes a lifetime to build a good reputation. It takes a lifetime to build respect in a community. Uh, to, it takes about a minute or a second to ruin it all. It takes about a second to ruin it all. And, uh, you know, somebody said, I'm just, all of us are about a second away from stupid. And, uh, and so, you know, we've got we've we've to understand that. So don't let temptation come to you and then figure out what you're going to do. You figure out what you're going to do if it pops up. Uh, maybe you get some safety devices or maybe you block certain kind of things on your computer or, or whatever. You have a friend that you can talk to about it, somebody like that. You, you, you can't be a step behind You've got to be prepared for that. The third thing, parameter I want to tell you is this. Magnify the consequences. All these TV shows and movies and, and stuff like that, there's no consequences to all this sinful living. You know, oh, they're happy in the end, but there's consequences. That's what Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 go through a lot of consequences of sin. It says Proverbs six thirty two. but a man or a woman who commits adultery lacks judgment means you're just not smart, to put it in South Louisiana. You're just not smart if you do that. Whoever does so destroys themselves. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Run from sexual sin, Paul said, because no other sin clearly affects the body like this one does. It's a sin against yourself. Passions aren't the problem. Containment is. I told you last week, the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. Water your yard. And, and it won't be greener because sin has consequences. Sin ha- Listen, if you read Proverbs, the first one there is the guy dies. You lose your life. 
uh, you know, uh, you lose your life, you lose your honor. I, I tell, I, I've, I've told guys one thing that were contemplating this, and it doesn't. And the guy looked at me one time. I said, "Is it worth half?" He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Half of everything you own. Probably a little bit more. Is it worth half? Because you're going to lose it. You're going to lose all that. You're, you're going to lose everything you worked for all your life. You're going to be publicly disgraced." And, and that's just Proverbs five. Get into six and seven. Uh, you know, and and I mean, and that's what happens. Magnify the content. When you start thinking, you know, you watch these movies and, oh, yeah, well, that, that looks fun. But over here, you know, like how many of y'all remember the Marlboro Man? You got to be kind of old to do that. Guy said nobody showed him dying of cancer, you know. There's a consequence to that. And so you want to magnify the consequences. That's what these 13-year-olds running around with guns don't, don't have that capability. They're not magnifying the consequences. But we can do that. We can magnify the consequences, think through the consequences. Number four, a good way to, uh, a good, great parameter is to maintain proper relationships. Water your own yard, y'all. Hey, listen, the more I'm in love with Kathy, the less I struggle with temptation. Same for you with your spouse. Maintain proper relationships with your spouse and others. Uh, you know, you need others to in your life that can hold you accountable. All of us need somebody that can tell us, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. And, uh, and, and hold us accountable. We can fool ourselves, uh, but our hearts are deceitful and we can't trust them. I hear people say, oh, just follow your heart. You follow your heart, you're going to go down a bad path. Because the Bible says the heart is despicably wicked. It's, it's deceitfully wicked. I mean, it's horrible. You can't trust your heart. You've got to trust the Word of God and God's standards. And, uh, and so look what the Proverbs says in 13.20. Walk with the wise and become wise. So you, you begin to establish God's standard. You're hanging out uh, with people who are wanting to live by God's standards, and you begin to be wise. But he says associate with fools. That's people that aren't following God's way. He doesn't say you'll be a fool. He said you're going to get in trouble. You're going to lose all that stuff we just talked about. And so, uh, listen, let me give you some responses to wrap up here uh, that we can have. One is we can get defensive. Defensiveness, we can be defensive. You, you, you know, I've had guys say, well, look at the little skins, all right? Oh, you can look at a little skin. It's not all right. You look at porn or anything or, or if you're at the beach or whatever, and you're, in your mind, you're committing adultery. And according to Jesus, you're committing adultery. You say, well, I never, I never did nothing. Right up here. Right up here. Jesus said you're committing adultery. So don't, and don't, don't come try and convince me otherwise. Because I'm basing it on the Word of God. I'm basing it on the Word of God. Maybe, maybe you think, oh, we're in love. It's okay to live together. No, it's not. Because God said you do it my way. You do it my way. Husband and wife in a marriage. And, uh, and so maybe, maybe you, you, you know, you, you're, you're thinking, well, I, you know, it I, doesn't matter. You do it God's way. And I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but here's what I know. When you do things God's way, life is better. Whether it's in this area or any area, when you do it God's way, life is better. So the first response is defensiveness. Second response is just as bad. It's remorse. It's remorse. That's just where I feel bad. A lot of people just think, oh, if I just feel bad enough, that's okay. 
<clears throat> you know, I, I just feel bad. Oh, I feel bad. Condemnation comes from the devil, y'all, not from God. See, the Holy Spirit convicts us and says, Robert, what you did was wrong. Condemnation says, Robert, you're just a bad person. You're no good. Why don't you just quit trying to be good? That's condemnation. That's what, that's what the devil does. God says, Robert, you know, you did this wrong. You need to do it different next time. See, conviction comes from God. God says, yeah, you're a sinner, but Jesus paid your price. And, uh, and it leads us to the next response, which is repentance. Write this down, repentance. This is where you just say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. And you change the way you think. You change the way you think about God. You change the way you think about your sin. I said your sin. You th- change the way you think about forgiveness. And you change the way you think. That's what repent means, is to change your mind. And so look what, what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7. He said, godly sorrow brings repentance. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When, when you're convicted by God and he says, you really shouldn't have said that or done that, and you go, God, I confess my sin to you, I don't want to do that again. That's called repentance, where you're changing how you think about that. And that when we change how we think, it'll change how we live. And, and so we've got to repent. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow that's shame that's where you say you're bad you're bad you're a bad person that leads to death and so that's not what we're talking about we're talking about godly conviction so we don't need to be defensive we don't need to just feel bad we need to repent say god you know what you're right you're right i'm going to do it your way and from this day forward god from this day forward you're saying hey look i'm going to change my ways god from this day forward from this day, from today, we're going to plan a wedding. From today, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to stop looking at that stuff. I'm going to maybe put covenant eyes on my computer or on my phone or, or there's all kinds of different things you can put on there. I'm going, I'm going to put this stuff on there because, God, from this day forward, I want to keep my thoughts pure. I want to manage what comes in. From this day forward, I want to change that so you can make that commitment. I want you to bow your heads. Why don't you just bow your heads? If you're here today, you don't know Jesus. All this is Greek. You don't even know what I'm talking about. So I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior. See, when I, years ago, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I invited him to come in. I, was, I, mean, I had a good life, but I was frustrated on the inside. And I said, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life, be my Savior, and be my Lord. And you know what he did? It was just that simple. And it changed my life. It changed the direction of my life. Have I been perfect? No. 